0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So I was loving this song because it illustrates a little bit of a subcontext to the message, at least the way I hold it today, which is God is watching you all the time, not watching with a list to like, make sure you're checking the boxes. He is watching with universal love, with eternal love, with with nothing but the thought of how can I bless this human being that is before me today. And that applies... Uh, when you're here at church and it applies when you're awake at night worrying it applies when you're in the darkest places of your life it is always true and for me that is a really really helpful thing to remember he's always there he's listening he's watching and he wants to reach you and help you discover true and meaningful joy So, I have a slide here, you can put that next one up. Uh, I've been thinking that we live in the age of outrage. I've been worrying about this. I've been saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, you look at the way social media plays a role in our lives and it triggers outrage. So, you can be driving and driving triggers outrage and something comes up and somebody cuts you off. And if you're lucky, you captured it with your phone because you were you happened to be texting while you were driving and that's what irritated the person in the first place but you caught the moment on your phone so you can put it out on Facebook and Instagram and all the social media outlets and guess what, you can make all those other people just as outraged as you are and then you can go home and you can turn on the TV and you can watch the news and the news, by the way, it's not news but it's it's oriented toward keying in and feeding your outrage. And so it grows and grows and grows from all these different sources. And it stinks. It is not, it is not a healthy way to live. All right? Let's just face it. We live in the age of outrage. Anybody disagree with me? You're like, yeah, man. Wow. So I thought I had come up with that term, right? (laughs) I googled it this morning, and a guy, this theologian guy that I, I know this guy, he wrote a book and published the book. What's the book called? The Age of Outrage. (laughs) So other people at least are thinking the same way I am. And I love his tagline in the book. I was going to put up a picture, but it was too pixelated. His, his tagline is, how to live your best life when the world is at its worst. How to live your best life when the world is at its worst. I love that because I think that, they, like I talk to so many people, a lot of clergy kind of default into how awful the world is. There's so much sin in the world. There's so much uh, terrible stuff going on. And it's like we just want to tune it all out. And my point would be, live your best life. Use this. And it might be, it might be that you are inspired to live a better life than what you might normally be because the world is in a difficult place. That You might get insights, you might be inspired to reach out to other people who are suffering, you might be willing to rise above sort of a default reaction to something in life and live actually a better life than what you might normally do because of the challenges that are around you in your world. And so when um, Chuck came up with this title for the series, Kindness First, that's where my mind goes. We need kindness. We need kindness. So what's connected with with the age of outreach for me is, where does it come from? It kind of comes out of what I would call a stage of immature faith. And I think that in some places in our world, you know, we grow up. And part of the growing up process is that you discover you have a rational mind. And you start using that rational mind. And by the very name rational, that means you have this ability to see relationships. You can see a relationship and a difference between something that you see and understand and maybe something that you observe in normal life. And there's a gap there. And if you are unable to process that information, it lends naturally straight into this place of outrage. So even if you're coming from the best of motives, you can still wind up being outraged by a stage of immature faith. So uh, where do you see immature faith? I see it in teenagers all the time, right? Uh, now my kids are kind of growing out of that teenager uh, space, and they're kind of—they're all at least in college or beyond, and they're kind of coming out of the other side of that. When when first, when they're young, you know, the, suddenly the rational mind kicks into gear, and it's like everything is black and everything is white, everything is right and everything is wrong, and there is no space in between, and either you are. You know, some evil sinner destined for burning in hell to eternity, or you are going to be one of the elect that is just like me, right? Or not. Uh, and, and we see that coming up in this whole social media conversation. I think it, it, it encourages black and white thinking. It encourages distance and separation rather than coming together, mutually listening, and really trying to dig a little bit deeper. So that's why I'm really concerned about the age of outrage. Outrage. Let me see if I can get that. I love, um, again, this is a slide that Chuck wrote for me, the challenge. The challenge when we finally come to believe that we have localized evil or that we've discovered it, we can see what it is, well, in the words of Paul in Romans, what happens is, well, our sinful passions are still, they're aroused by the law, they're still at work with us. We still are triggered and in some ways we're even more triggered than if we were blind. There's stuff going on, negative stuff, that is living inside of us. To use an analogy, uh, a colleague of mine who's now, mm, he's the oldest minister. No, he's not. He's the next oldest member of our clergy. The oldest happens to be my wife's father. But three months younger is a guy named Frank Rose who lives out in Tucson, Arizona. He's 92 at this point. And at a ripe young 92, he's pointed out that you have these negative things going on inside your emotions, and it drives you down, and it drives you to kind of use truth in ways that hurt other people. And if you really think about it, you think, oh, I'm just going to pluck that negative emotion out, and I'm going to toss it away, and it's going to bother me no more. I'm just going to get rid of it. I can do it because I keep, well, I'm sick and tired of it motivating me. I'm just going to get rid of it. And it's like pulling out a weed. You start pulling out this weed, and what you find is the root is much bigger than what you thought it was. And you start pulling and pulling, it breaks off, and then all of a sudden it sprouts up again. You start pulling and pulling and pulling, and it breaks off in a couple places. Then you have two weeds, you start pulling those weeds. The point is, And this is really the reality, and I think this is why um, church can help a person really deal with some of this stuff in a positive way, is you get to the point where you really can't pull that weed out by yourself, using your own power. It's almost like you've got the tail of a dragon that you're actually pulling out, and, and it's just a bigger and bigger dragon the more you pull, and then you realize that dragon is going to consume me. I cannot take care of it by myself. We need help. We really need help. And so, I'm just setting up the context for talking a little bit more about uh, kindness. But to me, those, um, that message in Romans that I think we, oh, we lost it, but that message from Romans reminds us is, yeah, even though we think about this stuff, we can start to see it. That negativity is really strong and powerful in our lives. It's a lot more powerful than what any one human being with their own ego can deal with on their own. And part of it is the ego so easily clicks into just allying with that power in a deeper way. So what I like to do is read a story about stones, which is a difficult story in the Bible, and yet it's such a powerful illustration of what I'm talking about. This comes from the 8th chapter of John, and it's Jesus interacting with a group of people in, um, in this ancient world. So it reads like this. Early in the morning, Jesus came into the temple, and all the people that came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to, him, they brought to him a woman that they had caught in adultery. And when they had set her down in the midst, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. It is what it said in the law there. But what do you say? Think about how Jesus responds to this. Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. Just kind of ignored them. started drawing something in, in the dirt as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up. And he said to them these famous words, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he just stooped down and he started writing in the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And then he said to her, Where are all those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's a really interesting story, and it's a really shaking story. But what I would really uh, like to emphasize, which is the point that Jesus is making here, is this is about how you use stones. This is about stones. And I just want to say that stones, if you look at Swedenborgian theology, Stones represent a person's faith. And I'm not just talking about this general faith that you might subscribe to, but it's, it's the thoughts of faith. It's thoughts that you use to live your life. And you could say, well, your faith is defined in different ways. It's not necessarily subscribed to an organization, but your faith is whatever thoughts you have collected together to live your life. So go back to this earlier imagery that I was describing about the age of outrage. And what you see is people that are using the thoughts that they use to live their life in such a way as to kill another person. Think about that. And think about the stone, it's like, instead of a nice smooth stone, it's a jagged stone. Instead of a light stone, it's a heavy stone. And imagine if you're in a place where you're, you're, you're carrying around all your, your thoughts of faith, as it were, spiritually. In your mind, you're just carrying all these heavy rocks around, waiting so that you can use these heavy rocks to judge somebody else. How does that feel? And if you can really get into the imagery of that, it's like, no, that doesn't sound so great. Do I really want to live my life that way? Okay. And every time I put in, like, oh, I have another insight that I can use to judge someone, put it on my pile, my pile gets bigger and bigger, and I keep trying to carry it around, and and... I'm just going to say there's no cheese in that tunnel, right? It doesn't work. It, in fact, leads on a path to our own deaths as well. Do you know the, uh, this is a a 12-step saying about dealing with resentment resentment is defined like this in the 12-step tradition. Resentment is like drinking poison thinking the other person is going to die. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Well, this is just another ancient way of saying, hey, you want to carry those stones around, knock yourself out. It ain't going to help you, but you can try it. So... Um, It's just amazing how much pain is connected in with what I call immature faith like that. So what what I'm saying today is everybody goes through stages of immature faith. Sometimes we get stuck in immature faith and it's in all of our best interests to grow out of that into something deeper, something more helpful, something that... Looks more human than a pile of jagged rocks. Which is a man. Imagine- ultimately, like I'm great at studying theology. If I was going to be locked into that place, you saw me. I would just look like a pile of rocks. You wouldn't see any of me because I'd be completely buried by these rocks. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm carrying them around, ready for anything. Terrible. Terrible. So if you could put up the slide of the true Christianity passage, I'd like to move on to that, because there's this wonderful passage that for me really differentiates it, and it's helpful that way. It is faith separated from goodwill. Those are the big, heavy, jagged rocks, my friends. Faith separated from goodwill kills everything. It kills everything. Faith united with goodwill brings everything to life. Faith united brings life. Faith separated brings death. And really, it comes down to choosing which path you want to take. So that, to me, is really, really key, and it's key when we're talking about kindness, because where is kindness in a life of faith that is separated from goodwill? If it's there, it's fake. If it's there, it's it's an imposter. It's not really reflecting a person's own life and their being. So we really want to key into that and think about how do we marry those two things together? And I just say that the whole, there's an imagery that runs throughout the entire soul of new church theology, and that is the marriage of goodness with truth. Because that is where we find reality, that's where we find healing, that's where we find growth, that is what it means to be truly a human being. So, (coughs) there's another passage I just say, um, talking about the use of faith, which shows up in one of our books. This book, the first sentence in the book says this. It says, faith is the eye of love. Faith is the eye of love. So that's a really wonderful characterization of how those two work together, isn't it? Faith is the eye of love. It's not the eye of something else. And if you take take the love away, it's just blind. It's just blind. So I've always loved that. So um, again, Romans, going back to Paul, he had this wonderful statement, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. It's a really powerful capturing of what's going on when we got those rocks in our lives, but we don't have we don't have that will and we don't have that motivation. And, and I tie it again back to that 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 story or imagery that Frank Rose had given me. Well, it's because you got this thing growing in your basement and you can't pull it out on your own. That's the reason why you can, you can see it. You know what it's saying. You can use it in negative ways, Well, why can't I just do it in a way that really brings love into the world? It's because there's this brokenness that's inside us. So um, I'd like to invite our song guys out. We're going to have a song here. And while that song is playing, I'd like you just to go back again. Think about the Lord. Think about God, the God of the universe, who is watching you from love. That he is watching, he is reaching out for one purpose only. One universal, indivisible, eternal purpose, which is to bring blessing into your life and blessing into the lives of others. have this story of Jesus. You see him coming into the world, being born. You see him interacting with people. You see all kinds of sort of crazy things going on around him. And you see at the end, Easter, you see his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. It's like the story didn't go the way they thought it would go, and yet it was better, and it was more, more human. It, but the thought that I have here is... If you read about Jesus in those stories, the way I view those stories is he is interacting with everybody there for the purpose of love, for the purpose of showing people how to love, for the purpose of allowing people to see, hey, this, and it was a difficult world back then, this is how I can interact with my surroundings in such a way as to bring healing, to bring humanity, to bring love into the world, and in a sense, to live my best self. And so everything there, all of those stories, it's like Jesus had a variety of ways that he could have reacted in those stories, and he picked what was going to serve best for lifting up the human race. He picked it, so that we could learn how to be human beings. And if you put up the next slide, Matthew 22, you kind of see this in summary right here. Jesus said, You'll love the Lord, you shall love, the, it's a commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second, Is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two great commandments love God and love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. For me, the next sentence is the most important of the whole thing. On these two commandments hang all, not just some, all of the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets so what does this mean it means when you look at the Bible basically the Bible in those days was called the law and the prophets and when you look in the Bible you have Jesus's words here look at that for the purpose of two things loving God and loving your neighbor and if you don't look at it through those lenses you're not gonna get it if you don't look at it through those lenses Ultimately, you're going to be picking up sharp, craggy stones for the purpose of throwing at other people. The lens is love. That's the lens, and it's the lens for our lives as well. That is the goal, and that is the origin of what I would call true kindness. True kindness that is filled with mercy that is filled with an intent to bless, that is in, That is filled with an intent to lift others up and help them experience a life that we can't just share on our own, but we can set up the conditions where God comes directly into their hearts and minds and they can they can feel it, they can experience it in their own way and in a way that we really can't uh, construct on our, su- on our own. There's a passage, and I'm not, uh, fr- this comes from true Christianity. It's kind of a long, complex passage, and I summarize it into these uh, six or seven words. And th- so my summary is that God wants us to act in ways that inspire eternal life. That's really what kindness is. That we want to figure out how we are interacting with other people, how we are choosing to show up in other people's lives, in our daily work environment, in our interactions with whatever level of personal communication we happen to find ourselves in as we're navigating through the course of our daily lives. But God wants us to act in ways that allow eternity to show up, not just in our lives, but in their lives, in the people that we are interacting with, so that there's a peace of God that is given to them. And maybe they don't even know it. You know, it's just choosing how to act wisely. That's true wisdom. That's this marriage between what is of faith, and what is of love coming together so that we're actually consciously thinking how can i interact with this person so that there is a presence of god in their lives how can i interact so that there's something of eternity that's showing up when i hear that song that we just heard to me there's there's something deeply that resonates with my soul it's so beautiful well, that is, it has to be something of eternal life. That's what's so beautiful about that song. And it's, it's, it was a gift to the person who wrote that, that they could articulate something that was bigger than themselves. That is a nice, simple illustration of, of an action that has brought tens of thousands or maybe even millions of people a little bit of a slice of eternal life just just by listening to that song how wonderful but can we take that model and can we sing that song as we're interacting with the bank teller or as we are in a meeting at work or we are you know in some other really mundane external external way not in a way that's like oh i'm so righteous let me show you how righteous i am so that you can be inspired Which, by the way, is not as inspiring as what one might think. But in a way that we look at a person and we try to understand who this person is, and we just ask, how can I selflessly reach that person for good? So that there's a little bit of God showing up in their lives. That is what theology is about. So one one final um, illustration and then I'm going to close up the service. And the illustration is I happened to be down in Australia recently and I was talking with a guy who's been a, he's been a pastor for I don't know the last 20 years and he was talking about this Bible study that he has started. And he said, "Well, the idea of this Bible study is not to sit down and read the Bible in a group where we figure out well what, what is true in this story. We want to understand the story so we can go off and feel like we've checked that box in our theological life. He said our goal is to sit down and, and the way he put it is let the Bible read us. It's like, well, God is the Word that says uh, that's taught early in John. Let the Bible read us or let God read us. and it goes back to the beginning there. It' like, there is God, He's watching us. Are we listening to the messages that he says? So if we interact in, with him in such a way that that God is able to send us little messages like, yes, okay, I can reach out in a different way than I'm reaching out. Yes, I can interact with my partner in a different way than I've been interacting. I can step out of my ego a little bit more than what I could. I can grow in a way that maybe I've been holding myself back from at stepping into a life of kindness. The product of that life is a gentle way of interacting that brings God's life into the most external parts of our world lifting not just us up, but those around us, lifting up, bringing healing, bringing inspiration, allowing them to open up and see what it truly means to be a human being. One final slide. It's a photograph. Photograph, there it is, of a cathedral. What is a cathedral built out of? Stones! And each stone is beautifully crafted, fit with the other stones, and the stones are built on top of each other. You know, in the 1100s, they were cranking these things out. Cranking is not quite what they did. But they were putting together these buildings that nobody had ever built before. They're incredibly beautiful. You walk in one, you think, how could stones do this? How could they look so beautiful? How could they create such a wonderful space? That is a very different way of using stones, right? (laughs) Isn't it so? And that, to me, is the ultimate image of using kindness, articulating our faith the stones in our faith for the benefit of others and helping other people enjoy those thoughts rather than using them to bring people down. So we're just going to stop with that thought and uh, I'm just going to invite you to take that, take that into your life this week. Think about it tomorrow. What's one thing you could do? a little bit differently. What's one thing you could do a little bit differently in your interactions with those people whose paths you cross on Monday morning when you need that extra cup of coffee that brings a little bit more eternity into the world? And uh, I wish we could come back next week and talk about how it went. (laughs) I know it's going to be more frustrating than what we think but uh, it's something to think about and I'd encourage you all to give it a try so what I'd like to do is invite you to prayer and I'll say a prayer and then we'll have some quiet space for meditation, reflection or if you so choose you can say the Lord's Prayer Lord we turn to you we turn to you as infinite love Love itself that is 100% indivisibly positive, that's designed from eternity for the benefit of all your creation. Lord, we recognize that you are the human articulation of that love, and we ask that we can through a knowledge and understanding of who you are, we can become human as well, knowing that we need that power that comes from you, that comes from that love, to give us the ability to act in kind ways. Help us, O Lord, and inspire us this week as we go out so that we can articulate kindness but a kindness that is deeply infilled with that eternal perspective and goal that comes from you. Lift us up, O oh Lord, and heal those around us that are in pain. Help us, Lord, be messengers and participants in that healing. Amen.